0: Good. You're going to be opening your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 2. Um, if you're using a Pew Bible, the number didn't change from last week. Uh, it's page 1146. 1146. And we don't we'll have to leave that page today. When Pastor Andy said uh, we had a treat in store and then he said he was going to play the tambourine, I said, Rocket, Pastor. So we did. That was awesome. Appreciate that. Music, appreciate Andy, the Andy and Andy show. Um, that was good. And I just lost the mic, but I got it back. Y'all doing good today? Good. Losing a mic's worst thing that happens to me today. I'll be all right. Um, today we're going to talk about some, some real struggles Paul had and then his, his answer to them. If you've been in churches at all very long, or, uh, and I like to say especially Baptist churches, but I think it's pretty common in all churches, People will fuss and fight over stuff or not do what God wants them to do. Um, my sister was very young, uh, uh, two, three, year, four years old. And one of our cousins at that time lived just up from us. And he was a little bit younger than her. And she went two doors down to play with him. And she came back in the house mad and kind of crying. And my mom said, what's wrong? And she said, Charles won't play like God wants him to. <laughs> um <laughs> And that's a child's perspective, but, you know, sometimes as grown-ups, that's our perspective. We're mad at somebody, or we don't think w- the, the right thing to do is the right thing to do, and we want to blame that we are right before God and they're not. And that was a big problem in the, in the church at Corinth. And, uh, and so Paul is addressing that. He's been addressing it in these opening chapters. He's, he's, he's taking it from different sides of it, facets of it, and he's describing it. But in the first couple of verses we're going to look at, he describes his own personal um, journey in that in, in a very dramatic way. He's going to tell us he's going to a place called, we pronounce it Troaz, T-R-O-A-Z. It's actually a region known as Troad with a D. And in, included in that region, the, the city of Corinth is there. But, but Troaz is the westernmost tip of modern Turkey. And it was the biggest seaport of that time for the Roman Empire in both um, Julius Caesar and uh, Constantine in the 300s wanted to make Troad the seat of, of the capital. That's where they wanted to go. It was that big of a, a deal to be there. Corinth, you, you, could, you could hop a boat and jump over into Greece or even go around. But you'd get into Greece and then you could come down. And then Corinth is very close to Troas where he was. And so you say, why are you giving us a geography lesson? Number one, because I didn't know what all that meant, so I started looking it up and, uh, and, and found all that out. And it was very, it's very kind of important to know, because in these verses you'll see and just now as you stand with me, and we'll read them together, um, that, that Paul was trying to get to Corinth, but he's going kind of a little bit of a roundabout way to get there. Would you stand with me? Y'all didn't hear me say that, did you? As you stand with me, we're going to read it right now. When when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for all these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, and the sight of God, we speak Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, in Jesus' name, we, we step into your throne room, and we thank you that as we come before this throne of grace, we come boldly. And we boldly ask, Lord, for your will to be done. We boldly ask that you fill each one of us. I'm having to do the talking, so fill me to say the right things. Lord, I pray for the listener, and I'm going to be listening too. So fill us all with, the, with a listening ear. Open our mind, our hearts, that we can behold the wonderful things in your word. Lord, we ask you to rebuke our enemy. We ask you to... Uh, Keep him away from us. Lord, keep him away from individuals and, and, and anybody associated with him. Uh, God, give us your grace, your freedom to hear from your word this day. We ask this in the name of Jesus, but to your glory, Father. And we can only do ask it or do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you three in one. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, y- y'all, can, y'all can sit back down. Um, here's a statement I want you to take home with you today. And that is, the, the power is not from us, but it is in the gospel message. And we're calling this the power of the message today. Paul obviously had a message to deliver, amen? Did, did you catch those first two verses? We're going to see here that Paul, in this text, has an anxious mind. He doesn't mind admitting it. This, this strong warrior named Paul, he's having an anxious mind. And I want us to look at that for a second. First of all, notice what he says in the beginning verse. That when he got to Troas, he found there an effectual door open to him. That he had an opportunity to preach the gospel there. This area, the one that I described going around, that's where Ephesus is. That's where Philippi is. And, and, and all of these areas, Macedonia is the region over there where Corinth would be in that region. And so Paul had been specifically called by God to go into Macedonia. And, and we have Bible books ad- addressing these cities. Galatia is in that pathway as well. And so Paul has written to all these places, the churches in those places. And we have all that. And here Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. That's why he went. It's a huge place, a huge city. It's important to everybody there. The Greeks the, and, the, and the Romans He said, even though, catch that, what does that mean? It means, man, I just had a huge opportunity. Even though a door was open for me in the Lord, I couldn't preach. I couldn't preach. Now, when you read it, your first impression more than likely won't be the right one because it wasn't mine either, okay? Because the way we had to translate this into English, and there's some subtlety here that we missed that he's... uh, Uh, implying he says my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there so we think when we first read this and I'll I'll just say when I first read it I thought he was upset because he thought Titus would be there and he wasn't there and it and it worried him what happened to Titus so he said so I took my leave and I go into Macedonia. So he's going into this big region to try to go through those churches and say, what happened to Titus? Where, where is he? If you read the book to Titus, he wound up on Crete, which is an island down there off the, off the boot. But, but he's not saying, I was so anxious about Titus. He's saying, I'm so anxious about you. I was hoping to have the support of Titus when I got there and he wasn't there and I couldn't handle it by myself. Now, here's what I want you to take home from that. As I said, you've probably been in churches that have fought over nothing, right? Have you? Raise your hand if you've seen silly people do silly things. Okay, good. That's all of us. If if you haven't, just watch me a while. You'll see one. (laughs) The gospel can't thrive in conflict among believers. It can only thrive in conflict from our enemy toward us but it cannot thrive when we're fighting each other Jesus said love one another by this all men will know you're my disciples how can you love someone and strive with them somebody's got to say you know what you can have your way takes away a lot of fight <laughs> when you agree with your enemy not the enemy but somebody's just mad at you you know you're right I'm glad you don't know what's really going on because you'd hate me even worse <laughs> That's what Spurgeon said. People don't like me, but I'm glad they don't know it all because they would really not like me if they knew what I truly am. Because all of us are flawed human beings, right? We've been saved by the grace of God. We ought to act like Christians, but we've got to bathe ourselves in God's Word, let God's Word live in us, and then we've got to decide we're going to obey God for that to look like it's supposed to look. Amen? Okay, good. So Paul here is saying that he has an effective door open for him. He doesn't use the word effective here. He does when he writes in another place. Uh, he says, a door of effectual ministry is open to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul's always facing adversaries, but here he's so troubled he can't preach the gospel. And, and I can only surmise a couple of things, but, but I'll say that in a minute. Paul is rendered combat ineffective because of, street, uh, because of the stress of the church in Corinth, and, be, and expecting Titus to be there, and he doesn't find him. That's just the straw that breaks the camel's back. He says, I gotta go find Titus. I can't take this by myself anymore. I gotta go get a friend. And he's so worried about Corinth, he doesn't get the gospel started in Troas. That sounds like a monumental failure. We 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 talk about Paul and write about Paul like he was this you know steel robot. You know he's Iron Man, can't be hurt, can't be bothered. He's just you know cutting them and leaving them in a pool of blood, letting them bleed and walking away. That's not Paul. Paul, Paul, Paul's pretty strict, but he has a tender, tender heart that breaks over this church. And I I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that the Scripture shows the weakness of its heroes. Because we try to live up to a, a, a perfected image that doesn't exist. And Paul here is letting us in that yeah, I, I, I messed up. I, I couldn't do it. I, I came to a point where I had to say, I can't do it. And, and, and by the way, there, proper concern is an admirable, admirable thing. But when your concerns move into worry and, and paralysis, that's a bad thing. I mean, even if you trust God, you can't fully eliminate your little bit of worry and concern, right? That's, that's just a fact, and God recognizes that. I, I love quoting the verse in Psalm that says, I remember your frame, you're just dust. We are all weak, and so we're going to be worried, we're going to be concerned, even if we know God's going to work it out, but I sure wish I knew how he's going to do it right now so I could get this off my mind. And, and I, I'm glad that I can sort of forget stuff sometimes, but that's not, also not always a good thing either. I mean, a, a parent's concern for their child is important, keeps them alive, right? More weren't for parents, all kids would die right? But then we have some parents, we call them helicopter parents. They don't let them learn through pain and, and failing. And that's how we all learn. And, and so Paul has come to that point of, I hate to use the word failure, but he, he says it. I couldn't preach the gospel because of you, is what he's wanting to say. He doesn't yell it at him, but the strong implication is there. That's what he's talking about. But then Paul remembers God's overwhelming Grace, His overcoming grace. That God has grace that would overcome. And, and this next part, I, I go ahead and confess that that's another part I didn't fully understand. And I read a lot of different commentaries on this and, and what this meant. And so I'm going to tell you in just a second what we usually think. But I found a guy that I think he figured it out best. So in, in this section we see... As Paul's worrying about this, and we don't know exactly what happened, but all of a sudden, he just it's like he shuts that off and he says something else. Because notice the first word in verse 14. But, you know what but means? That's a glorious but of the Bible. The glorious but of the Bible is when things look bad and it says, But God. Right uh, when, when I graduated seminary, we you know, got our picture because we're a senior, whatever that means. And you could put a Bible verse in there and I put, but God. That's what I put as my Bible verse in every circumstance. But God. When we don't figure God into a situation, that's why we get over, overwhelmed with worry. And so as Paul's thinking about this, all of a sudden he remembers what it looks like for a Roman general to come back from a victorious warfare, victorious battle, and and when we read it, it talks about the people that are behind him, and he talks about the aroma of Christ, what does that mean, you know, and it sounds, I just took it, oh, it's so beautiful, it's just poetic, I just got the fragrance of Jesus on me, right, that sounds so hippy-dippy, don't it, but there's an actual thing going on here, and, and so the one guy I read that, that I think he got it right, because here he says, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. So when a Roman general that conquered comes back, he doesn't just walk back into the barracks going, they go, how'd it go? Eh, pretty good. No, they give this dude a parade. I mean, it is bigger than a parade. So he comes riding in on a huge war horse, probably a white one. And, and right behind him are his sons, who aren't even in the battle. His family gets to come and join in the triumphal entry of of his return. And behind them are the soldiers that won the battle. And interspersed in that and behind the soldiers are priests waving incense, burning incense. And when the soldiers smell it, they go, man, that's the smell of victory. But behind those priests are all the captured slaves being marched to a place, an arena of lions, to be put to death. So when they smell it, it don't smell so good. Where are we in that procession? Well, if you haven't turned to Christ, you, you're heading to a lion's den. But you can move up in the ranks. You can actually become a son of the general because we are brothers with Christ and sons of God, Right? And even if God allows us to accomplish something for his will, is that because we're so great? No. no. It's because we're so weak. God did it through us. That's why in the beginning of First Corinthians, I think it's in the first chapter, he says God doesn't choose the smart people. He doesn't choose the strong people. So if God has called you to be, for instance, a pastor, it means you're weak and stupid. <laughs> why? Because I don't have it in me and only God can do it through me, right? So he doesn't, pick the, he doesn't pick the all-stars. He said, just give me the leftovers, and I'll train them. I, I have a personal illustration of that. I, I, don't, I didn't think about that until just now, so I hope I should say this. but My son was playing t-ball. He was about seven, eight years old. I don't know what, not t-ball, but coach pitch at that time. And And a guy from our church was one of the coaches, and this guy was great. He was a Marine, and... You know, you don't ever say ex-Marine. He wasn't on duty, but he was a Marine. Great baseball player. Well known in the community being this great athlete. And I don't know if you've ever had a kid in Little League, but here's how it works. Dads are coaches. So dads always pick their kid first, right? And then they want the best players they can possibly get. So all these kids go out in February in the cold, and they hit the ball, and they catch the ball, and they throw the ball, and they're scoring them. Then they have a coaches meeting before the season, and they get to... Go around the circle and pick. Well, my son's coach was a guy named Fred. Let you know it's a real person. And he said, I'm not coming to the meeting. Just give me the leftovers. Almost everybody on his team went to our church. And only one or two of them were really good athletes. And they won the championship. Do you know why? But though his son was on the team, he didn't have a favorite son. Here's what he did. He said, I'm going to show you how to hold a baseball. I'm going to show you how to throw a baseball. I'm going to show you how to catch a baseball. I'm going to show you how to hit a baseball. I'm going to show you how to run the, ra- the bases. And if you do it like I tell you, I don't care if you lose. I will praise you. If we win and you didn't do it the way I told you, I'm going to fuss at you. And you'll never know the score of the game until we're finished playing. That sounds a lot like Jesus. <laughs> because... He trained those boys how to do it. He corrected them when they didn't do it right, applauded them when they did it right, no matter what the score was, and they won the championship. Bunch of little rug rat herding cats to even teach them anything, boys. I mean, it was crazy. And it was fun. They all had a big time, trust me. He brought fun into it as well. Jesus is the conquering general. We are not. And whatever he told us to do, we need to do it like he said, do it. Like, love everybody. Love the brothers especially. Preach Christ. Don't preach denomination. Don't preach anything else, but preach Jesus. In my imagination, when I was sitting at my desk, I was imagining all those conquered people in the back. I've seen the protests, some unpeaceable, but protests, violent protests, and people are waving an Antifa flag, or they're waving their own old, old nationality flag, or, or something of the like. What would it be like if you're one of those conquered guys and you're going to the, your death and you're waving your country's flag? Well, in some sense, well, good on you, man. You're not going to give up till they throw you to the lions. But in another way, how dumb is that? That guy conquered you. You'd you'd be better off by going, you know what? You beat us. I'd like to be a a Roman. uh, Is there a a path to citizenship? And I'll serve in the army and I'll go fight for you. That'd be pretty smart, wouldn't it? Can you imagine being defiant against that general who's taking you to your death? And what do we do? We carry a Baptist flag. Or a Presbyterian flag. Or a Methodist flag. Or whatever church denomination you want to name or we carry our nation's flag. When we're supposed to be in the train of the conquering general of the kingdom of heaven, we ought to be carrying his flag. Right? Because we're not in the slave part. We're in the at least the conquering soldier's part, the guys who helped fight the battle. But they did it because of that general, not because they were that great. And that really struck me this week. And I got to thinking about that. And how, how many times do I give a little bit of my loyalty that 100% belongs to him and I give it away to something else or someone else? He, he told us the proper way to give loyalties in this world. Obviously, our husband, our wife, our family, that's one of our top priorities. We ought to be good citizens wherever we live. Paul talks about it a lot. He never, he never protested Rome, paid his taxes, did all that. And they put him to death, but he never complained about it. He just said, well, glory to God. Because he was so focused on Christ, the rest didn't matter. And we get so pulled out. I think it's important for us to remember an election year. I think we ought to vote our convictions. I ought to vote for people who are for human life and are for the right things. But it's not a Christian cause, it's a political cause. And we are in God's army. Well, here's the deal. God expects you to perform an overwhelming task. Look at verse 17. I want you to catch a phrase in there. And, and I didn't reread it, but it says there, we are the aroma of Christ to those who are going to life, is life to life to those going to death from death to death. And that refers to that incense. And he says, we carry the aroma of Christ. We, we have that same message. And so in verse 17 or at the end of verse 16 he says who is sufficient for these things in other words who is capable of that do y'all want me to tell you what Christianity is all about using that word sufficient it is your inefficiency filled with God's sufficiency to do the impossible that's the feeding of the 5,000 it's the only story in the scriptures that is in all four gospels there's a principle there they had nothing and then we found out well there's a little boy with a lunch to feed 5,000 men plus women and children who aren't numbered. We don't know how many were there. And Jesus took it when it was given to him. He blessed it and he broke it and he fed a multitude. The disciples and that little boy didn't have a sufficient amount to feed everybody. So they, he took their inefficiency, he blessed it, he broke it, and did the impossible. And that's God's pattern for us as a church. We give him, all of us, He'll bless you, but he'll break you. But when he breaks you, you belong to him and you'll come back and you'll get his will done. Things that you can't do, things that are on paper impossible. You will see God move. If you just get out of God's way, he'll get it done. And by getting out of the way, I mean do it in his way. So, this word sufficient in, in the Greek language, you, you don't care about that word, what it means, but it, what it says, but in the Greek language, it means competent or able, or fit, or good enough. But it also has the word sufficient, which means enough in time, length, and worth. You got enough money, you'll have it long enough, and you got enough time to get it done if you're letting God be your sufficiency. And so he says, who's efficient for this? Sufficient for this? None of us. I'm not, you're not. But look what he says in verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, you know, listen. Back in his day, there were people that, that tried to preach for money. There were people that that uh, that that altered the gospel, and they, they they were all over. And they're certainly in this church, and that's why he's talking about them that way. And you and today we can see them on TV, podcast, radio, face, uh, YouTube, all those places. But Paul said that that's not us. We're we're not out there peddling God for money and telling the wrong stories. But as men of sincerity, as men who are commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we preach Christ. I've had people tell me through the ages, (laughs) the ages, sound like I'm (laughs) hundreds of years old. (laughs) As long as I've been alive, in in my short age, I've had people say, I don't know how you get up there and do that every week. And I tell people, I can't. If you asked me to talk about the benefits of Ajax Cleaner, I would just sweat and stumble and fall apart. But fortunately for me, early on in my life, I had someone who had been a speech teacher in a Christian college say to me and a lot of other guys at the same time, but I took it to heart. She said, when you stand in the pulpit, it's no longer about you. You are now God's man with God's message to God's people in God's time at God's place. Amen. And I took that to heart. She also said you can't get rid of butterflies, you just got to teach them to the fly in formation. <laughs> <laughs> and I, pro- I promise, I come up here trembling every week, but I'm asking God, God, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. Because I don't have it in me. Now, I can sit down with you and tell you a story, but to get up here in front of all y'all, y'all kind of scary, y'all know that? <laughs> It's not easy to do. That's why you tell me, I don't know how you do it. I don't do it. I, I pray. I pray God's doing it. Whenever I try to take over, I mess up, and I've, I can remember those too much. So, I want to give you an assignment today. First of all, talk to one person this week about Christ. Because guess what? You're the aroma of Christ. They have to see Jesus in you. You've got that incense on you, and if they don't want Christ, it's gonna smell like death, but if they want Christ, man, they're gonna they're gonna listen. So you just talk to him and say, well, how do I, I I do that? I don't know, you just do it. Can you talk about football, baseball, whatever the subject is? Talk about birds or dogs or the weather, and say, hey, where you go to church? All you did is just took a little side street onto religion. I don't go to church or I go to this church or that church. Oh, you always gone there or where did you did you ever go to church or where do you like go to church or you just bring up the religious stuff. well what do you think about Jesus? It's just a question. They may or may not answer it, but boy you can take off from there. You don't need me to tell you any more than that. Because if you were saved, you know how to tell somebody else how to be saved. You repent, you ask Jesus to save you. You and by repent I mean you you give everything to him and you go forward. You see, God wants the church, and especially Calvary, to reach Stanton, Virginia, and the world. Can we do all that? No. And no other individual congregation can either. But the church is equipped to do God's will in God's way, in God's place, in God's time. And He will equip Calvary to do her part. And if you don't have that conviction, then you won't try anything. But I have that conviction. There's a little trick saying that a lot of people have, and it's this. I know exactly how your church is organized. It is organized to get the results it's getting. And if you want to get different results, you've got to change how you're doing things. That's common sense, you know that? That's stable thinking. Secondly, I want you this week just to rejoice here in God's family. I was sitting over there singing. We are singing that Evie song. In April of 1986, I, I, what was the first one? The one with the tambourine. I think. No, no, the one before that then. No, the one before the last song. <laughs> you know you said Evie sang it. What was it? I don't know who Evie is. My tribute. You said, my tribute, thank you. Yeah, I thought I heard you <laughs> tell the... Andre Crouch. Andre Crouch. Well, Evie sang it too, okay. <laughs> Blew my whole story. Can you believe I did that? <laughs> Sorry, brother. I course you don't know if i I called the wrong name uh anyway in 1986 uh well evie didn't write that song but she sang at the billy graham crusade janice was in the choir and i i worked in the crowd and we didn't know each other we met thank you we met the next month oh it died on me too you got it all right good we're back we didn't know each other I, i was working the crowd and all that we met in may and then we got married in december that's crazy But we were singing that song, and I'm thinking back to being in this stadium of people and singing. The vast majority of them, I didn't even know. Didn't know my wife was singing in the choir. She wasn't my wife yet, that's why I didn't know it. <laughs> and we were just all part of God's family. It gives you a little glimpse of heaven when you get together with that many thousands of Christians and sing glory to God. And that ought to fill you with hope and and. We come, we're just a little part of the family over here, but God equips us as he, much as he equips anybody else. And we can go get it done. So re, just rejoice this week that you get to be a part of a family of God. And then one other one is that the task is very simple, but very, very difficult. It's a simple thing. We have so complicated. Here's what God wants. He wants you to repent and believe in Him. So he saves you. And then after that, he wants you to love the brothers and learn how to obey him. That's it. That's it. But that's very hard. Because that means we got to love him. It means we got to love each other when we don't want to love each other. It means we got to find out what his will is by studying and looking into the word of God. But if we will simply do that, if we'll just love people, tell them about Jesus because we love God, and teach them to love God and people like we love God and people, we'll get the job done. I, I want to tell you a, a story, and again, I may be repeating an old one, but the very first church that called me pastor, there was about 60 people in there when I started, and there was a guy that was there in the ups and downs, his name was Dean Benton. I'm sure he's with the Lord, you know. I I don't know for sure, but he was he was old when I was young, and now I'm old, so I'm sure he's with in heaven. And he wasn't the evangelist that would go out there and tell everybody about Jesus, and and he wasn't very loud if he talked, you better listen, because it's going to be pretty smart whatever he said. And uh there was two great things he did that I, I that I could, I mean there's a lot of great things he did, but two that, that I can relate to this. One is He had a neighbor that moved in across from him, and he just started talking to him. And one night on a Saturday night, he called me and said, I need you to come over. Okay, didn't tell me what, just hung up because he didn't explain things a lot. And he just, yes, sir, I'll be there. So it wasn't that far off. I went over there, and on the way, I'm praying. Lord, I don't know what's going on. Help me. I got there, and his neighbor that he'd been talking to is sitting there, and he said he wants to get saved. I don't know how to tell him. You tell him. So the guy got saved, became a deacon in our church. Dean was never Deacon, but that guy became one. Another thing he did, there was, there was two sisters that was married two brothers. They were all from West Virginia. No implication there whatsoever on my part. Their, their last name, the two brothers were Farthing. I had two uncles married two Cherokee Indian girls that were sisters, so I get it. But that's South Carolina, so anyway, very similar. That was the Farthing family. And the only person saved in the farthing family was one of those sisters. Well, the, no, two of those sisters were saved. None of the men, none of the children. By the time I left that church, one of them, all their kids, except one was a Christian, including their husband, and then the other one, her husband, and several of her kids were Christians. But the one told his wife, you tell that preacher, don't don't let him ever come over to this house and talk to me. Now, he wasn't mean, because I went over anyway, because I'm just that way. And he said, come on in, and he'd let me talk to him. But you know what old Dean did? Dean had a fishing boat, and so did Woody. And we were on an island, surrounded by a river, and just outside those islands was an ocean. So we'd go fishing. And Woody would go, hey, Woody, you want to go fishing? Sure. And then one day I had an evangelist at the church. And he called up Woody. He said, Woody, preacher and the evangelist want to go fishing. My boat can't carry everybody. Can you come and take your boat? And he said, sure. You know who we put in the boat with the lost guy? Woody became a believer because of Dean not because of the preacher not because of the evangelist because Dean just loved them talked to them, was friendly to them and set them up (laughs) so they'd become Christians great is his reward in heaven what's going to be your reward?